to Normalize This, where we are dissecting sexual vocabulary, asking intimate questions, and starting necessary conversations. I'm your host, Kenny Francoeur, and this is Normalize This. Let's get to work. So I receive a lot of questions about douching. In my research on douching online and in speaking to physicians, there's one douching factoid that everyone pretty much agrees on. Vaginal douching is and not so good. I'm not here to tell all the vulvaceous people listening how to live their lives, but what I can do is talk about the risks associated with this particular practice. Side note, or maybe the main point of this whole thing, the vagina is quite literally the most amazing piece of human machinery that has ever humaned ever. But let's start with facts. One in five vaginistas between 15 and 44 douches semi-regularly. To understand why people suggest you don't do that, let's understand the environment of the vagina. We often hear pHs referenced a lot, and that's because the pH level of of the vagina is integral to its health. The vagina's ideal pH level on this 14-point pH scale is between 3.8 and 4.5, making it just a little more on the acidic side. If the pH rises above 4.5, an environment is created that sponsors the growth of unhealthy bacteria and yeast because those things thrive in more alkaline situations higher on the pH scale. So how does your vagine's pH get higher? It can actually get higher if you douche. Surprise! Douching, even just with water, can weaken the protective mucosal lining along the walls of the vagina and flush away certain great bacteria. And that bacteria has a name. Lactobacilli. And there ain't nothing lactobacilli about it. Now, um, lactobacilli uh, inhibit other bacteria from binding to the cells lining the inside of your vagina. Those cells lining are called uh, epithelial cells. Lactobacilli also produce lactic acid. It's in the name, which kills or stops the growth of many bacteria. Essentially, these little lactobabies are kicking bad guy butt to the curb or roadhousing them on site. As the old adage goes, don't throw the lacta babies out with the douche water. Without these good bacteria fighting off the bad ones, there can be an overgrowth of harmful bacteria and lead to yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. In fact, vaginatics who douche once a week are five times more likely to develop bacterial vaginosis. There are some who think it might be helpful to douche if they develop a yeast or bacterial infection in an effort to remove any bad vajuju, but you actually run the risk of pushing that infection further up into your reproductive system and giving yourself pelvic inflammatory disease. So please don't do that. Some want to douche after their period to get any uh, residue out before sex. I understand that impulse, but it's not necessary. The vagina is a lean, mean, self-cleaning machine. Your body creates a discharge, some discharges are good, that move down through the vagina to clean it out. My least favorite reason for vaginal douching is to make the vagina smell or taste better for someone else's consumption. Ugh. First of all, it is unnatural for the vagina to smell like petunias, so there's that. But pungent odors and unpleasant discharge, if they happen, can be signs that something is wrong. It's your body's way of letting you know what's what. So, go see your doctor. 
If there is no problem and you insist on douching, you can disturb the pH balance and then you could actually cause a condition that brings on odor and discharge. Also, the the stigmatization of the vagina is a major factor in why vaginosos douche and that is wildly shitty. Being inundated with comments and assumptions about foul or fishy odors and flavors is leading to unhealthy behavior. Often, this assumption is used as an excuse why someone will not participate in certain sexual acts that should be far more commonplace than they are. Cunnilingus, I'm talking about cunnilingus. But I also hear people with vaginas refer to their own nether glory using derogatory terms. Hey, it it makes no sense for me to tell people to stop vaginally douching when they were raised and exist in a society which shames them for their anatomy if I, if we, are not also going to work to change that society. So all of this is not necessarily for the potential doucher, but for the rest of us. More specifically, the cisgendered men, both hetero and queer, like myself. Let us all stop using language and perpetuating harmful, patriarchal propaganda about vaginas, which shames those with them. Because let's be real, a vagina does not need to smell like a bed of roses to be worthy. I'm not breaking a sweat trying to make my asshole smell like a fresh plate of cookies before someone goes downtown to make a meal out of it, so why should anyone else? General hygiene and a healthy diet are truly all the vagina or any part of our bodies needs. And if your sexual partners are going to perpetuate stigma to you about your own vagina, might I suggest you perpetuate them out the door. And welcome back from that short little break. We are back here in our Normalize This studio in my living room. we got a full house here today. So we have co-creator of Normalize This and producer, Miss Livy Casto. Hello. Hi. <laughs> we have our sound engineer and composer, Javaris Myrick. What's up? Hey, hey. And we also have special guest today, Gabe Matoza. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi. Now, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of this, uh, I want to play a quick little game. One uh, passed down through the generations in my family from my ancestors. It's called Urban Dictionary Terms. Oh, man. So, we have four terms, three of which are legit Urban Dictionary Terms. One is one that I made up on the subway here today. Uh, they are all in reference to fellatio. So I will read these out, and you have to guess which one. Smile like a donut. Yawning the worm. Oh, no. <laughs> the kielbasa clobber. Oh, yeah. Or the knob slob. Oh, it's definitely not the knob slob. No. Which one's the one I made up? Can you oh say them God. again? Yeah. Absolutely. Smile like a donut, yawning the worm, the kielbasa clobber. And the knob slob. I'm going with the the clobber, the kielbasa. Okay. Yeah. I want to say smile like a donut. And I want to say yawning the worm. Wow. Javaris, you got it. I, I the kielbasa clobber is the one I made up. And I'm actually very satisfied <laughs> with that one I made up. I think yeah. that's better than I mean, their one. It was one. great, but I could actually visualize the other ones. You know what I'm saying? So we are here today with Gabe. You and I met a couple weeks ago. And uh, for the first time, actually, even though we've kind of known each other through like social media for a little bit. And so we had this great conversation about um, starting with kind of the erasure of uh, trans men in the conversation about 
trans rights and uh, all, all of those issues surrounding that, especially when we live in a time when it's both political issues, social issue, issues across the board, right. that um, the attention doesn't undeservedly, but mostly goes to trans women because we see them more in the media. We right. have more celebrities who are trans women. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you experience that erasure as a trans man? I mean, I think the thing that I have noticed in my um, the last, I guess, 10 years of me being out and, you know, recognizing myself as a trans man is that when I first started on this journey, if you will, I never saw myself represented anywhere. Like, I didn't have any information for myself. I mean, there are, you know, like the the very short, very, you know, non-informative, like, internet articles that are just like here are the genders that you know are like on this spectrum Mm -hmm. and like here's how to bind and you know hormone therapy and like all that stuff but it was it was never like here are examples of out trans men and I feel like that's also kind of you know affecting people in this generation as well that are coming to terms with with their gender identity and who they are and they're not being able to see themselves as well um so i think it's really important that you know we try and make this as like try and make ourselves as visible as we can which i know like there are also the times where we want what we call living stealth is where we're not we don't publicly out ourselves as trans and try and just live as you know cis if you will Mm um which you know there's so many other levels and layers to that but um you know if we if we don't put ourselves out there other people aren't going to feel seen absolutely when you uh, speaking of like trying to pass for just cis alone you had brought up binding for people who don't know what that is can you explain what that is and how that's done yeah so um binding is basically the phrase that we use for um constricting the 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 breasts um before having what we call top surgery which is um the removal of the breast tissue and the, uh, the breast fat basically um we see a lot like we see a lot of when we see trans men in media which again is not as much but when we do see it we see a lot of like wrapping ace bandages around the chest or using like duct tape which are two very big no's um ace bandages are meant to um they're meant to constrict and so like they're supposed to reduce swelling with injuries and uh using ace bandages can actually break your ribs um mm. if you are doing it for too long like if you do it for like an hour sure but you know if you're trying to wear ace bandages all day you can bruise or even break ribs um again with you know duct tape there's no um you can't there's no room for breathing at all um so what would you suggest is or so, what did you use what did you discover to um, do? so what we call binders which is <laughs> a great term <laughs> the binders bind I, yeah that makes sense <laughs> um they are made of a looser, more um, mesh-like material. They are, um, they're typically thicker in the front with a, like a surrounding mesh material, but maybe like a thicker fabric panel in the front to help compress a bit more um, with usually a, a more open mesh in the back to let this the skin breathe. Um, there's a couple um, brands that are popular. Um, one that I really recommend is GC2B. They make really comfortable, easy to wear binders. Again, you shouldn't wear them for more to like than six to eight hours a day because then you can start getting into breathing problems. Like I 
still have breathing, like shortness of breath after binding for, you know, I want to say I just came up on my three year uh, top surgery anniversary. So binding for seven years, it's still, you know, has a lasting impression, but to make sure you do it safely and follow the rules so you're not, you know, risking your health later down the line. Um, so when you um, when you were starting that process, though, because you didn't have people in the media, like where did you go to learn that? I mean, I dove into the Internet as much as I could. Like, I didn't even really know the term transgender. I like I knew that I didn't really feel comfortable in my body. and I couldn't really figure out what that meant. Um, it was basically like we a lot of trans people joke about you basically go through the entire acronym um, before you come out as trans. <laughs> uh, so like it, like I was like, oh, maybe I'm a lesbian. No, that doesn't feel right. Or maybe I'm, or maybe I'm just bi. Maybe that's that's what it is. And I was like, no, that doesn't feel right either. And then I found, like, I found the term transgender. I was like, oh my god, that's mm. what it is. Like that, I, I, this is not who I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a boy. Mm. Like that's what Absolutely. this is. Um, and I, you know, there, there was a lot of like old like um like chat room type websites that were up from that were fairly dated so like a lot of the information wasn't recent or updated um so it was more of just like all i had was so you think like so you think you're trans like these are like some identifying things to help you figure out if you really think you are trans and um these are like the steps you should take in your transition like make sure you bind properly um then you can start hormones and then there's the option of top surgery or in or there's also the option of what we call bottom surgery or basically like phalloplasty and recon- like or constructing a penis mm-hmm. um and but as as far from aside from that and like finding all like the photo galleries of like top surgery befores and afters and um, bottom surgery befores and afters like that was really kind of all there was um so like I booked an appointment with my with my GP and was like I think I'm trans like what should I do and then it kind of went from there to my fantastic therapist who was like oh okay I I've dealt with this before. I know, I know kind of like what I'm working with. Um, I can recommend you to, um, 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 endocrinologist or a doctor that deals with, um, trans patients and hormone therapy. And we can kind of like get you settled and figure out, um, if you're, um, mentally stable enough to start hormone therapy and start your journey to surgery. Cause there, there's like a really long process that goes into that. Cause they have to make sure that, I mean, that sounds kind of stupid to say that you're mentally stable enough to live as a trans person, but it is a, you know, it is a life changing experience. And there's a lot of stuff that you cannot go back from once you start that transition. And they have to make sure that, you know, you're in like the clear mindset of what you want to do. And it's amazing that you had that, like that team right, that you yeah. could find. Cause I, uh, I was doing some research and there was, uh, a study showing that like an immense amount of people will either, um, purely opt for top surgery, no matter what their desire is, because they're not able to find surgeons who know how to work with a bottom surgery, but they can find a surgeon who has done mastectomies or done breast augmentation. So that at least they can have that need met. Right. Um, 
but because it, it's a huge gap in medical knowledge that you know hopefully is starting to turn around but is still enormously based on bias and on what medicine is important quote unquote to learn right or you know there are a lot of like doctors um that they consider you know the mastectomy they consider it cosmetic um hmm. as opposed to medical or like a like you know necessity um which thankfully I was still living in California at the time and covered California was still a thing. Um, and so I was very, I was very lucky to have literally my, I had my top surgery, like I think two days before the, uh, before the election. Oh, good timing. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yes. So like I, like I got right under there. Um, but I was really lucky. Like I never, I I never saw a bill for my surgery, which is you know very very lucky. Amazing. Because um, for some people they don't, there's that's not an option for them. And because you see, I, I see constantly like GoFundMe's and all these other like crowdfunding um, things for top surgery or for hormone replacement therapy because um, there are so many states that still don't cover the cost of hormone replacement therapy or surgery, even though it really is a necessity for trans people to live their lives fully because it is, it is such a damper, especially on your mental health too, to be living in a body that you feel so uncomfortable in. It's like, you know, that this isn't the body that you're meant to be in and having to constantly hide parts of yourself physically on a daily basis is, is, draining like you couldn't believe so you know it's it it's very mind-blowing that there are you know that we still have such a long way to go with the medical field as far as you know trans healthcare. and it's even thinking about trans healthcare. uh i was looking at like studies and trying to find actually valuable statistics and realistic right. statistics and right. the problem is a lot of um organizations that are doing statistics about trans health are doing it uh, through, like, like using physicians and using those kinds of records, which ne- necessitate that the people that they're s- surveying or studying have healthcare already. Right. So it's almost erasing when we look at these st- statistics that we're, we're erasing whole numbers of people who do not have access to healthcare, who do right. not, ha- who are not seeing physicians regularly. And when our, it was frustrating to go through, to find, to try and find some valuable information because it was just like, there's, this is not accurate. Right. It doesn't matter if it's from last year or five years ago. And frankly, the most accurate one is from the uh, National Center for Transgender Equality. But that was 2015 mm-hmm. was their last one. And it was like it was almost 28,000 people were surveyed. Mm-hmm. Then there was something else that was giving percentages off of a survey of 122 people. Like right. that, that is not that 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 does not a whole group's experience make right um so it's it's bigger than just that like it's not captured in the census yeah so that is like the baseline for what the population even is and if that's not captured accurately then you can't even tell if your sample size is is statistically relevant not at all right and then it also you know doesn't include the people who may be living as trans but don't feel comfortable disclosing Mm -hmm. as well so there's a whole there's so many factors in there that you know are affecting all these statistics. Especially as we see m- horrifyingly more and more that just disclosing is dangerous. No matter, right. And frankly, no matter where you are in the country. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't um, 
there is no way to get this accurate information unless, I mean, frankly, we have to create a more inviting environment, period. And that's the only way we're going to actually be able to find out more about what is actually happening when it comes to the healthcare, when it comes to who is not insured. We can't even know that because there's no way of knowing who actually exists as a trans person right? because it's not safe generally to come out as that. Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh, and so we also talked uh, the other week uh, about kind of just like some uh, dating life stuff. Some, uh, you know, everybody loves the apps, the <laughs> app uh, life, which is uh, terrible. Yeah, um, sure is. But uh, I think there is, uh, there is a unique, Thing to your story, I think to the story of many people, I think um, in general, I think a lot of traditional cis minds um, can wrap themselves around one otherism, mm-hmm. and so we would assume that because you transitioned to your, you know, your authentic maleness, that uh, you would be a straight man, right? And that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what is that like? Even in in the midst of a queer community mm. that has those pre assumptions about what your sexuality would be, most cis gay people, men especially, um, are they basically equate you to like if you don't have a dick, then I don't want anything to do with you. You may look male from you know, the top of your head to your waist. But, you know, that if it comes down to that, then I don't want to touch you because that's that's gross or, you know, that I wouldn't Oof. do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, because there's already an enormous stigma. I, I can say from my own friends that I talk to often uh, amongst cis gay men just towards the vagina, period, mm-hmm. um, which is asinine but uh it brings up this interesting concept which again we talked about the other week yes that is about you know uh for for gay men are you gay or are you cis for cis gay right are you you know are you looking for another cisgendered gay men and then Mm -hmm. it brings up the kind of broader question which there's no answer to but it's something that i think is important to ponder is sexual orientation about Gender, or is it about genitalia? For you know, what what are you actually going for? Because if we're saying it's about same gender, and we are to stick by our word, if we are liberal people saying trans men are men, right? Then that is the gender that you are attract that you say you are attracted to, right? So it brings up this kind of this quandary that I th- there is not an answer. There's an answer I would like there to be for the right. sake of humanity. But it, uh, it has to kind of force us all to rethink our own preferences and our own biases. And that we can say, you know, all, I'm all about trans rights. Oh, they're, you know, they're, they're having all these afflictions. I'll build them up now. But it's all well and good. But how do you react when it's in your house? Right. You know, like when those things, when you're face to face with that, yeah. how, are, how are you approaching that how are you dealing with your own biases Mm. that may not be at the forefront you may not be the person you know spitting at trans men and women on the subway right but what is your inherent bias that you you know really to check in with that Mm -hmm. which i can only imagine that you have had to experience on 
everyone's favorite dating apps, you know, <laughs> right. which are particularly terrible oh, across absolutely. the board, <laughs> which are, yeah, already it's shitty. But then you have, you know, these kind of biases thrown at you on top of mm-hmm. it in communities that claim this, you know, wokeness. Right. Um, yeah. How, I mean, how do you, how do you navigate those situations? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's actually really funny that we bring this up because for me, I personally haven't had much experience with transphobia or things like that on dating apps because I have so much anxiety in the first place Mm -hmm. about actively, you know, using them or reaching out. I think I've gone on like one Tinder date since moving to New York um, because the person um, uh, had pansexual written in their bio because I knew, I'm like, okay, this is a safe bet because I know that they are attracted to people of all genders. So it's not like just a gay man because with cis gay men, it's a gamble. Um, and it's it's odd that kind of across the board, we go to, it has to be penetrative. It's why mm-hmm. there's this myth around trans men having sex. It's why there's this myth around lesbian sex. Right. Because we think, oh, how does that even work? There's <laughs> there's not a penis. I'm like, right. yeah, it still works. Like, right, exactly. Th- th- that's still sex. Right. Um, because there's this false equivalence that sex is penetrative. Right. And I think which, that's the only way to do it. That is the only option. Period. Yeah. You know. And like, it's not. Right. So, you know, it's it's about kind of opening yourself up to exploration. As we grow up and, you know, being immersed in this society that, you know, we have we have been brought up to think that sex is can it can only be done one way it is sex can only be penetrative sex you know we, we in sex ed in, in high school or wherever you get your sex education it is only described as being between a man and a woman or the only thing you learn is how to put on a condom and abstinence is the way to go you know there <clears throat> and there's I don't even so recall much that. getting taught how to put on a condom i definitely didn't yeah that was like the, uh, the whole like prospect of like the banana thing that it's on every movie ever that people right. do i'm like that never happened it's outrageous that like even the basics so it's not even like it's not like all types of sex aren't taught Mm -hmm. sex isn't just taught it's called sex ed but like what there was no information right like the only way to not get any stds or stis is to just not have sex period like that's the only way and i have stood by that (laughs) for my entire life (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, like, and I, I do, I have friends that are trans that have, have had those experiences of, you know, I know a friend of mine got a message on Grinder the other day. It was like, so how, like, can you tell me how much of you is a man? Which like, e, all yeah. of you is. Yeah. And it's like, it's just like the, the shitty things like that. Um, like, or you get like the questions, like, have you had the surgery? It's like. Which one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, I don't need to tell you. Like, that is that I'm not, I'm not obligated to disclose any of this with you. The only reason I'm disclosing that I'm trans on my grinder profile is because, like, I need to make sure that the person I'm talking to isn't gonna murder me in the middle of the night, which is like not something I should be having to even remotely think about. But you know. And and still in this day and age, we are still dealing with so many trans women and trans men that are being murdered for just being who they are and wanting to fulfill those needs and to seek pleasure. Exactly. And 
I shouldn't I shouldn't be you know afraid just because I want to have sex like it it's I think it's so just absolutely bonkers that that is still a thing that I need to have to worry about So obviously you've come uh, very far in your journey. And so you said, what, how long ago did you come out? 10 years ago. So I was 15 when I came out. Wonderful. So like if you were to say something to 15 year old Gaby, (laughs) what would you say? I would say that, you know, the, what you're feeling right now is not bad. It's not you know, it's not weird. It's absolutely normal. You have, you have the right people around you. You just need to get up the courage to confide in those people. Um, Mrs. Brown, your AP history teacher will be there for you your, your entire high school career. Oh, Mrs. Brown. (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of scary stuff that you will deal with. Um, you know, not everyone in your family will will be there for you, but you're going to have a lot of people that will become your family and be supportive of you and take care of you and drive you to the hospital and make sure, you know, you don't die overnight after having your surgery mm. <laughs> and they will feed you and, you know, you will find you will find the right people to surround yourself with to make you feel like you belong, even though you probably don't feel it right now. Well, I love that. (laughs) And I think uh, little Gaby turned into a pretty fucking awesome person. So (laughs) that's great. Well, uh, you're a goddamn hoot. And so thank you for coming in and talking with us. Thank Uh, you for having me. Yes. And we hope to have you again. I just know you have questions. So why not quench your curiosity? Send me your questions. You can't discover the answer if you never ask. So get thee to our Instagram page, Normalize This, and slip and slide into those DMs, baby. Let me help you help yourself. Any questions answered on the podcast will remain completely anonymous, so what's the harm? No question is too taboo or strange. Get to it. Go. Now. Do it. Go. Go, 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 go. Thanks for tuning in today. In signing off, I have no information to share, but rather a twofold piece of advice. Tell your recent sexual partners if you've contracted an STI or STD. Seems easy enough, no? But in my experience, barely anyone actually does it. The fact that I've made more calls than I have received is not a sign that I'm patient zero for the STIs I've been gifted. Hint, it's been gonorrhea and chlamydia a lot. Telling partners means that more people can go receive treatment so that the spread of these little blessings doesn't get out of control. But advice number one cannot happen without advice number two. Stop shaming people who call you to tell you they contracted an STI or STD. They are the good ones. They are being responsible and looking out for your health and the health of any future partners you might have. For some perspective, Here are some figures. 50% of people under the age of 25 have contracted an STI. Only 12% of those people in that exact same demographic actually got tested within the last year. With so many STIs being asymptomatic, sometimes the only way you know you caught something is by having someone else let you know you should head to the doctor's office. So, Thank your former partners who call you to let you know. Don't be an ass. Because frankly, chances are you are just as likely to be the one who gave an STI to them. 
Thanks for listening. So, if you haven't done it yet, follow and subscribe to this podcast, leave us a review, and tell all your friends. Go in peace, you beautiful monsters, and embrace the taboo. Bye! Bye!